0: Hey folks, just a quick reminder that our free Selling Technical Debt Back to the Business panel is this week, July 24th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and there's still time to register. If you missed our interview with panel moderator Rick Gorman last week, you can find it at the beginning of episode 252, or just stay tuned after this episode where we'll rerun the clip for you. Hope to see you there. should really have like a little bike shed, like a little Hall of Fame, like the things that, the silliness that we've done, silliness mm. Hall of Fame that we can hold on to these memories forever a hall
1: of nonsense
0: a hall of nonsense i like it <laughs> hello and welcome to another episode of the bike shed a weekly podcast from your friends at thoughtbot about developing great software i'm steph vikari
1: and i'm chris toomey
0: And together, we're here to share a bit of what we've learned along the way. So, hey, Chris, how was your holiday? How was your 4th of July?
1: Uh, It was excellent. We did some socially distant visits with uh, both my family and my wife's family, and it was nice to see people. We've really leaned into the quarantine thing in basically every way, like haven't gone out to any restaurant, really. We've done the grocery store, but that's basically it. So uh, it was nice to see some folks and yeah, just enjoy relaxing three days off. So it's all very nice. How about you?
0: nice uh it was also really great for me as i'm i'm down in south carolina visiting family and that was just nice to be with them we have also leaned pretty hard into quarantining and staying safe especially since we're being around my dad who has some health concerns so we want to keep him safe uh, so it was honestly it was a very chill like we were out in the backyard and grilled some food and ate some watermelon that's a pretty classic 4th of july for us But yeah, overall, everything's going great. Uh, So you mentioned something earlier. I don't remember what brought it up, but you'd mentioned Snowpack. And I'm curious, what is that?
1: Mm, Yeah, Uh, I think this came up after we had stopped recording last week, uh, my extended love letter to Tailwind. Uh, I mentioned Snowpack in passing, but Snowpack is a new bundler. There's a couple other ones. There's one called Vite or Vite, V-I-T-E, that's coming from the lead developer of Vue, Vue Vue.js. Um, but Snowpack is another one of these, and they both are taking an interesting approach where they, instead of trying to bundle everything in development, so make that like one big JavaScript file that concatenates Lodash and React and React DOM and everything together, instead it actually leans into the fact that most of us are working on machines and on browsers that have native module support for javascript so when you're authoring a single file that thing ends up being a module and we can just send that directly to the browser and the browser will pretty much run it we actually don't need to transpile as much anymore et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. and so in development what this means is we can have an experience that is like way way faster like way faster than what we have historically had with tools like webpack and the webpack dev server so largely it is a development mode replacement for webpack dev server as far as i can tell at the end of the day it'll still bundle everything up for production because we still need to target older browsers that won't support all of these native es modules and frankly say you've got like a hundred different files that are all combining together to make your application it's still not reasonable, even with like HTTP2 to serve all of those as individual files in production. So you still want to combine and crunch and concatenate and minify and all that stuff. But that's a production concern in development land. We can get away with some amazing speed ups if we just lean into the tooling that has updated and the experience. I've just poked around with it a little bit, but it is absolutely fantastic. It is like breathtaking how much faster it is.
0: That sounds really cool. I haven't heard of it. Is this something that's fairly new, I'm guessing? Or has it been around a while and it's just sort of resurfacing?
1: Yeah, I I think it's very new. From a technical standpoint, I think the functionality that leans on the native ES module support is pretty recent in terms of being supported across all the browsers. When I say pretty recent, maybe it's like the past year. I don't actually follow that that closely, but uh, it is a relatively recent idea. So it was only possible in the recent time frame. And then people have started building different solutions and sort of trying it out. And it really is amazing where like you make a change in your editor. And by the time your eyes look over at the browser, it has already updated. And in the particular case, I'm playing around with this on top of React Fast Refresh, which is an even better version of hot module reloading that Dan Abramov from the React team introduced. And so the combination of those where you get better sort of stateful hot reloading and these like millisecond level updates. So any change you make like little subtle, uh, it was actually really interesting working with Tailwind for this because I change a little class name and each little tweak just shows up in the browser immediately, but it's not gonna refetch data or anything like that. It's not gonna do a hard refresh of the page or any of those things. So the experience is actually very close to just being in the dev tools like in Chrome and tweaking the elements directly, but I'm in my editor in my actual source file. So it's pretty fantastic. I highly recommend checking it out. It's still relatively new new and like i think both the snowpack and veet are in beta i think maybe snowpack 2 actually just came out and so that's maybe production ready but they're super cool and worth just poking around with so you can like feel the future
0: I feel like this is something that you do really well at where you tend to be on that more like cutting edge and you're trying out like new libraries and new frameworks and then giving them a test drive and then bringing them back to us, especially when you were here at ThoughtBot and that was something that you did where then you would get very excited about something and then you'd help educate the team on why it's like a good choice then help us bring us on board so that's that's really cool i, I love that you do this because it helps expose me to a bunch of new tooling and new things that i wouldn't have used otherwise or known existed in the world
1: well more than happy to uh, continue exploring and sharing what i find but uh yeah that's like i said just a quick update i haven't used it in production yet but development mode it's great i highly recommend poking around with it but yeah what else uh, what's up in your world
0: so I was listening to one of our earlier episodes while I was out walking. Well, I'm with my parents. They have a cute little dog named Daisy, so I get to have a dog in my life, which is wonderful. While I was out walking her, I was listening to one of our podcast episodes. Which, you know, saying that sounds a bit vain, but you know, here I was going to ask.
1: <laughs> I mean, I've definitely gone back and listened to bits, but anyway, let's let's continue past that.
0: Well, I usually listen to the ones like, so you and I will rotate back and forth for who's doing show notes. And I not always, but sometimes I'll go back and listen to the ones that I didn't do show notes for just because I'd like to hear like how it came together and everything that we talked about. So every now and then I'll opt to listen to one of those. And just since I didn't get to do the show notes for it. So while listening to that episode, it was the one where we were discussing about names facing models and how it was something new that you were trying out and what sort of like areas might run into. And one of the comments that you made specifically around's like what would it be like if we had two models one of them's namespace so it has a namespace operator like survey and then colon colon questions and then if you also just had the model that survey question without the namespace operator what would rails think of that would that conflict how would that end up with the database table names and so I paused and I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure – I think we're, we're both pretty aware that it would conflict in some way and that it wouldn't be able to support having those two models with the same name because they end up having the same table name. But it made me wonder what would it look like, like if I were to make that mistake. So let's say if you're working on the application and you've introduced a, a namespaced model and then I come along and I don't realize that's a pattern in this code base, like what – roadblocks that I run into to let me know that I'm not following a particular pattern or I'm about to introduce a duplicate table. So I, I started up a new Rails app and uh, called it Monsters because uh, that's just who I am. And specifically as creating uh, C Monsters in this Rails app. Uh, so I added a database backed model and I called it C Monsters without the namespace and then added a migration and then created a table that is C underscore Monsters. And then pretending I had zero awareness that I just created this model called C Monster, I then added a database backed model called C and then colon colon monsters with that namespace operator, and then wanted to see how Rails would warn me that I shouldn't do this. And it uh, failed for me in two ways, which was helpful. One of them specifically, if you're using the Rails model generator, when it's generating those different files for you, which is an approach I normally take, but I just thought it would be fun to see what would happen. So if you're on the Rails generate model and the name of that model, and then you can provide the column names and then the type of column after that. So the first thing that I ran into is that I saw one of the lines where it was generating that migration file is that it said it's identical to an existing one because it generated the same migration. I guess it noticed, even though the timestamp was different, it noticed that I was creating the exact same table name. So it didn't give me a new file. It just pointed to the existing file that was already there. And then the second warning. So if you're not using that rails generator, and if you're just handcrafting your models, which is typically what I do, but I wanted to see how rails would fail in that case, then when I manually added that migration and then I put in there the create table C underscore monsters and then ran that particular migration, then active record blew up and informed me that there was already a relation called C monsters that already existed. So that was just kind of neat. It gave me some peace of mind that I was like, okay, Rails, in the event that if someone starts following a new namespace models pattern, there are ways that will safeguard against other people new to the code base that they couldn't accidentally try to introduce something that Rails would be confused as to which table is backing which model.
1: That makes sense. It's nice to see that it's got the extra support in the generator, uh, which I similarly don't use the generators as much. I use them for migrations, and I think that's probably about it. But interesting that it does have that like extra layer there. Uh, I'm not surprised that the like the database level Postgres is like, no, you can't create two identical things that that totally makes sense. I do wonder which if you had both models and only the one database table, which model would win the namespace or the non namespace, because presumably one would have precedence. And I don't know if that's like an alphabetical order or directory traversal order or something like that. But one of them would win. And I feel like that mode, I wonder if Rails would actually silently fail in that mode or if it would do something else.
0: Cool. Well, you gave me another reason I can (laughs) test out something with my Sea Monsters app.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Get a little more mileage out of the monsters.
0: (laughs) So on a slightly different note, there's a review that came in that's about the bike shed that we're excited to read. Do you want to take it away?
1: indeed yes uh we've been ending every episode for a while now asking folks to go out there and rate and review and we've gotten certainly a a number of ratings uh lots of five stars so thank you to everyone out there who's uh, kindly rating the show very well but um this was actually a review which i think is even more useful in hopes of folks hearing about what's unique about the show and why they might actually want to tune in. This particular review is very interesting, and it'll also inform sort of the what else we want to talk about today. But I figured I would read it and um, encourage folks to write similar things or maybe even slightly different things. But here we go. The title is Great Podcast, I Always Learn Something New. And the body of it is, Despite being a side project of ThoughtBot, this podcast is surprisingly well-produced and always has interesting guests and topics. Uh, kudos to Tom for that excellent production. Uh, it is surprising because we mostly make software here at ThoughtBot, but Tom makes us sound extra good. Even though it might seem a bit lazy, which feels harsh, but here we are. I actually like that they source a lot of their guests internally because it seems like all of the guests and hosts are automatically a lot more comfortable with each other and can dive right into deeper topics. I also like that they bounce around different ecosystems and don't only talk about Ruby or Elixir or JS or whatever. A really unique and fun podcast. So thank you, Dr. October, who wrote that review. We very much appreciate it. And I think for the rest of the episode, we want to sort of talk about podcasting more generally, but there's definitely some fun stuff in there that um, I think we can tease apart as we talk about the world of podcasting and this gear bike shed.
0: Yeah, you did such a, a great job of diving into that review because it is one of those fun where there's some compliments, which is wonderful and thank you. And then also the other little bits <laughs> were kind of funny. I'm pretty sure we just got called lazy, which I'm cool with. I don't mind that because <laughs> I, I am lazy.
1: Sort of inherent to the developer mindset. So it fits.
0: Yes, I'm I'm excited to have a rather meta conversation and talk about podcasting. Specifically, what really got me excited about diving into this with you are two things. Uh one of them is that Saran, who is the founder of Code Newbies and co-host of the Bay C S podcast, shared a tweet fairly recently, that she posted to everyone, if you're looking to start a podcast, what questions do you have? And what do you want to know? And I thought that was such a great question, especially coming from someone who's already running a podcast. And then a number of the questions on there were really interesting. And now that I have been a co-host on The Bike Shed for over a year now, hooray. Wow. You know, time has really flown.
1: We missed the one year anniversary. We should have like celebrated or something.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: Sorry, that's my failing. We can maybe (laughs) retroactively figure out a celebration, but yes.
0: We'll have a belated celebration, I'm for it. And given since it's been a little over a year, I've just been reflecting upon the year that I've been a co-host and what it's like to be part of a podcast because this is a, a new experience. And I'm really excited to dive into some of the questions and also hear your experience and sort of like how you've been reflecting upon being a podcaster and just what it's like. So... Uh, there's a couple of questions. I figure we could just sort of like go through each question and then share our thoughts for each one. And then some of these questions are perfect for Tom. He's really the one that will have the best answer. So Tom kindly shared some of his answers with us. So then we can share that information with everybody else. Sounds great. All right. So the first question is one that's perfect for Tom, and I'm going to share his answer. So how much time do you spend editing? So he said that he spends six hours per episode, which I didn't realize that it was six hours. So thank you, Tom. And Tom does all the hard work of taking out every little um and uh, and every time you and I are like, hold on, Tom, we would like to try that again. And then we go back and you take out all of that for us.
1: You say that like the audience knows that we say that, but because of Tom, the audience does not know that we do that pretty regularly. Uh, it is actually something that we both come to really rely on is the ability to re-say things and and trust that Tom will make it all make sense afterwards and I have actually made the mistake on another podcast of assuming that that would happen and it did not happen and so the final recording includes me being like actually you know what I'm, I'm just gonna say that again and then saying it again <laughs> just assuming that that would be edited out so Tom really does set an incredibly high bar for the level of quality and also I think for us as hosts our comfort level in saying whatever kind of comes to mind and then being like that sounded ridiculous trying it again
0: I've also had a, a friend or two that um, when they listen to the podcast, they'll make the comment and they'll say, are you and Chris normally that are articulate, which is very kind of them to say, because I don't really consider myself an articulate soul, but they'll ask, are you that articulate normally? And the conversations just flow that well. And I'm like, well, we have a Tom who does a wonderful job of making a sound that way. So yeah, it's wonderful having that sort of experience where we can just re-say our sentences because we know Tom's going to stitch it up together for us.
1: I will say an interesting artifact of that for me is I almost always end a recording feeling eh about things. I was like, okay, I feel like we talked about what we wanted to there. But and I felt like we were starting and stopping and sometimes it doesn't feel as cohesive as I would want. And then I'll listen back to the final produced version that Tom gives us for show notes. And it sounds so much better. And so there's uniformly this disconnect between how I feel in the moment and then how I feel after the fact that I, I've sort of had to just adapt to. Be like, I'm I'm going to trust the process. It will be made better. But it is an interesting thing and not a guarantee if you have to do your own editing or anything like that, or it's not an option to do that much editing that might not be possible. But it's definitely been something that made me feel more comfortable.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. That wasn't a specific question that I have on the list. But that is something that I've really struggled with, especially when first joining is coming to the microphone and then having like this content that we're creating and then walking away. And it's not so much the trust. I, I have full trust in, in Tom and us that it will be good. But my inner critic really comes out with everything that I've done. And I just, I start to overanalyze everything. And I think, well, maybe that wasn't really funny, or that wasn't interesting, or I didn't say that in a helpful way. And it's been really hard. And I I found some help. I forgot which comedian I was listening to. If I can find it, I'll, I'll certainly share. But she mentioned specifically, it might have been Ellen DeGeneres when she was talking about that creative process and how easy it is once you share something that's a bit of yourself and part of that creative flow, that it's very easy to then over critique it. And then there's just sort of that overwhelming sense of like, oh, maybe that wasn't good right afterwards. And she speaks to that feeling. And that helped me a great deal to know that this is normal. This is something that people feel and that you just kind of have to embrace it and keep going forward. So yeah, that's one area that I've struggled. Have you felt, it sounds like you struggle with that a little bit as well. Do you still struggle with it?
1: I definitely do struggle with it, but I think having done versions of this sort of thing for a while now i was the host of the weekly iteration on upcase for i think that was a year year and a half something like that so i did a lot of that was actually on video which was even more nerve-wracking still had a tom and we had a three camera setup so he could he could make it look reasonable and we could cut whenever necessary but that was a bit more nerve-wracking early on and then i sort of acclimated to that and slowly acclimated more to the podcast process but that that inner critic that voice that tells me that the thing that i'm thinking about sharing is not good enough or not worth it or it's et cetera, et cetera, both the weekly iteration and podcasting have been incredibly helpful to me because they force me to ship weekly. And I I just show up and it's really helped me get comfortable with taking what I'm able to produce this time and letting it go out into the world. And that's not my natural state by any means. And so doing the repetitions of getting more comfortable with that, I think is incredibly valuable. And so in terms of if anyone out there is thinking of, well, maybe I could start a podcast, maybe that's an interesting direction. I have found immense value in that particular aspect of helping get over that voice. Or I want to say it's the resistance in the war of art, which is a book that's talked about a lot in the like creative process. So that little voice in the back of your head is a resistance. It's one of those things that's trying to stop you every day. And not to say that we are producing high art here, but I look back on a handful of episodes and I'm quite proud of them. And so to get those, you got to ship. And I absolutely love that aspect of, of this thing.
0: I disagree. I think the bike shed is very fine art.
1: All art, all the time.
0: (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Scout APM.
1: Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues.
0: Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints M plus one queries, memory blow, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue.
1: Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash bikeshed, all one word, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy.
0: Thank you again to Scout APM for sponsoring this episode of The Bike Shed. All right. Uh, So question two, how do you come up with topics?
1: I think it's interesting for us because we sort of bounce between different styles. We've got the listener questions. We've got Steph and Chris show up with the most interesting thing from the past week. Um, This is actually sort of a rare example where we have a specific structured topic that we want to talk about.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like in the beginning, we certainly focused on more structure that I feel like was a little bit more like this where, so we use Trello to communicate and organize everything between us. So we have an idea of like what episodes coming up next and if there's particular topics and also to capture those community questions. So in the beginning, it was certainly more structured where we would share a number of the things that we're interested in talking about. There's also those fun moments where we would see each other and be like, oh, I've got this topic I want to talk about. And we'd start diving in and I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, don't share it. Like, save it for the mic. Just hold off. Don't tell me now because I want to do it live on the podcast But yeah, I feel like most of our topics we've captured in Trello and then would try to coordinate around which topics fit well that we could blend together. And then I guess just as you and I have gotten more comfortable with each other and as I've gotten more comfortable with podcasting, then we started just showing up and – winging it and having just very honest conversations about what's going on and what we're working on. The bike shed provided a really nice example for the client that I'm working with, where they have a really cool thing where they have these demos every other Tuesday. And the purpose is it's like an educational sort of demo where someone on the team can bring something. And if they want to teach about accessibility or anything like that, sort of like a lightning talk, but it's much longer. So a thunder talk where it could be 30 to 60 minutes And they were going through the same flow of like, how do we think of topics? How do we stay organized? How how do we force ourselves to actually schedule something for that coming week? And using Trello in the same way that we use Bike Shed, I gave them a demo of how we organize has really been helpful. And then bringing together topics for those talks. So yeah, that's pretty much how I approach topics.
1: I think the one additional thing that I do is uh, sort of throughout my week, especially now that I'm like writing up invoices and things like that, I'm summarizing the work that i'm doing sort of on a daily cadence and so as i'm doing that i'll think about like what was the most interesting thing today and so then i might just write that down in a list and then that I have in a separate Trello card that I just keep in my own personal system, but I'm sorting those pretty regularly. And so some things will just fall at the bottom and never get talked about. But whatever it is that happened today, I'll just write it down. And if it's the most interesting, I'll keep sort of sorting to the top. And then that ends up being the thing that I'll talk about. But it's a way to capture in the moment things that might be relevant and then have a sort of priority. It's very similar to like the Kanban style project planning that we do where what are all the things that we could work on? And then what's the most important? Okay, run with that one. But I found that useful also in just sort of the like daily journal type thing, work notes style.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. That's something that you shared with me earlier on when we were talking about what are we going to talk about? And you encouraged me to do the same where sort of like capture anything that was interesting that week or something that was frustrating that week and then to be able to bring it to the show. So, yeah, that's been because then right before we have these episodes, I look through that list and I remind myself like what was interesting and what can I bring? So, yeah, great point. All right, so for the next one, how do you select your guests? All right, so I have some experience in this area, and then I'm excited to hear your answer since you've been through this uh, longer than I have. Uh, for me, for the guests that I've selected. uh, So some of them, it really comes down to circling back to that review, which is just funny because it sticks with me. uh, And the fact that being lazy is that I do look for someone that I already feel like I have some rapport with, or there's a particular topic that I know that they are excited to talk about. So I'm looking for someone who has a subject that they're eager to discuss. And I feel like I can have a conversation with them about that subject, even if it's from a total like new perspective, and I'm just asking questions. You and I done that several times where you've brought something very new to the table and then I just get to ask a lot of questions about it. And then if I feel like I already have some friendship or relationship with that person, that makes it a little easier. Although I try to be careful about that one because I don't want to limit it to people that I just have already an existing relationship with. But yeah, that's how I've selected some of the guests i have come on before. How about you? How did you go about selecting your guest?
1: So it's interesting thing about just the arc of the podcast, because prior to me, it was Derek and Sean, and they were primarily having more of this sort of back and forth conversation. And then when I took over, uh, I purposefully wanted to bring more of the ThoughtBot voices into the fold. And partly that was because I, I know that there are some great minds in ThoughtBot and different ways of thinking and different approaches. So I thought it would be really useful to maybe think of it as like a season, but spend that time getting to know more of those voices and bring them in. And also to share this thing that is the podcast with other people at ThoughtPod. I wanted to make sure it wasn't just me uh, that was getting some of the benefit of sort of being a voice of that thing. And then there were also some community guests, which were largely folks that I had looked up to, had followed their work for a long time. Um, So folks like Abdi Grimm and Aaron Patterson and Eileen Ushatel and other folks that are prominent in the various communities that we work in. But similarly, there were some that were a little more sort of point in time. So Devin Zugel had been hired to come in, and this was before GitHub sponsors had been announced, but she had been hired and they had announced her position and it was sort of hinting at that type of work, working in that area. And I was super interested to understand what she was thinking about and what her approach was. And so that was very much like I saw the announcement post from GitHub and I was like, I want to talk to her about all of this because these ideas are so interesting to me. I feel like I got in a little too early because she I kept trying to be like, is there anything going on? And she was like, I don't know, maybe. And then released GitHub sponsors and then later has come back on and gone on giant robots and told all of that story. But it was great to get to chat with her then and understand almost see sort of the story arc of that. So that was how I thought about guests during that time. We obviously still have guests occasionally on the podcast, but now we've sort of gone back to this more conversational back and forth with the continuity of you and I being hosts, which I can't speak to whether or not it's much better for this podcast. But I certainly there are a handful of podcasts that I listen to that are in a similar style. And I really enjoy that the connection between the two hosts the like comfortable conversational style is definitely enjoyable. And the interview style can be great for exposing to new voices, but also can feel a little more structured and a little more, you know, that sort of thing. And I I really like podcasts where you feel like you're just sitting in the room for an interesting conversation. So...
0: Yeah, I agree. I I have discovered that I also like podcasts that are like that as well. I do find that interviewing someone or having someone new on each week is an incredible skill, and it's something that you've done really well. Lindsay does an incredible job. Chad's an incredible job as they're bringing someone new on and, and interviewing and speaking with them because each person's different and how that vibe's going to go and what you're going to talk about and the right questions that you think people are going to find interesting. Do you have any tips on how you approached becoming great at interviewing people or having those off-the-cuff conversations with someone that perhaps you've never spoken with before?
1: Oh, I don't know that I ever achieved such great heights, but um, I will say it was exhausting. So in terms of the review and calling us lazy, yeah, absolutely. And I'm leaning into that. Uh, I really appreciate that the work that you and I sort of just show up here and have a a very sincere conversation. Um, But part of the work for that was typically some amount of pre-work, some amount of conversation before the conversation to determine even what were the topics that we wanted to talk about with that guest. Or if it were someone that, uh, like, if it were a thoughtbotter, I would probably just have a meeting either in the office or over video call or something like that. But if it were someone in the community, I would typically have a little back and forth in email to suggest the topics that I thought would be interesting and the sort of questions that I was thinking about, but also to ask, is there any particular topic that you want to go towards and be, try to make sure that I'm a little more prepared And then I think beyond that, the main things that I focused on were making sure that I wasn't asking sort of yes or no questions, but asking more, can you describe how you thought about X or why you went in this direction or what it means to you that you worked on this open source project or things like that? And so try to ask more open ended questions that lead to conversation uh, as opposed to having a very structured, regimented set of questions that I was asking that you know they went for a little while, and then I went immediately on to the next question. That was sort of my style. I don't know if I was particularly good at it, but I certainly enjoyed getting to meet those people and getting to have those conversations. So I hope other folks enjoyed it as well.
0: All right. So the next question feels like a, a perfect fit, given we were just talking about having guests. Uh, so how do I ensure inclusion for my podcast host and audience? And I'll be frank, this is something that I really struggle with. And it's something that keeps me up and I worry about and I really enjoy the conversations that you and I have. And we're not really big on guests now that we have shifted to where it's just you and I as co-host. And every now and then, as you'd mentioned, we really like to elevate people that are at ThoughtBot and bring them on the show as well. Uh, so that's something that I've been thinking about and also speaks to the idea of only bringing on guests of someone that may already be in my network because then that can be exclusive. Uh, so this is something I'm still very much learning and thinking about and finding ways to combat. And also I'm not sure what it will look like for us, how we'll go down that inclusive route. Maybe it just means bringing on more thought botters and staying there first and then expanding more into the group outside. I know one thing that I've seen Lindsay do and Tom do really well is that they'll share with everybody in the company and say, who do you think we should bring on the podcast? And that's been a great way to bring new people and new voices onto the show. So that's another approach that I really admire. What are your thoughts on this question?
1: I think similarly, this is not something that I have excelled at, I would say. It's definitely tricky. And I think if you're trying to solve this as a primary problem, that will probably not lead to the ideal solution. And thinking more generally of how do I expand the voices that are part of the world that I'm looking at? And then this can sort of naturally fall out of having that more expansive set of voices that you're following on Twitter that you're connected with. And like you said, reaching to broader networks and things like that. And so I think very similar to like diversity and inclusion in hiring. The question isn't how do we specifically solve it at the point of hiring, but it's how do we be part of more networks and, and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm saying this as if I'm succeeding at any of these. These are the ideas that I have in my head as ways to improve on this front and definitely work worth doing and, and that we will be doing. But that's sort of the point of view, at least that I have on it.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm really glad that someone shared that question when they were responding to Saran, because I think that's such a a great one to keep focus on. Uh, So for some of the technical stuff, I'd love to dive into that specifically for anyone who's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, but how do I get started? And then we can talk about those details. Uh, So specifically, uh, what platforms do you recommend uh, so in terms for sharing our show notes and then also for sharing our podcast, we use Fireside. And that's been a, a really pleasant, great experience. And it's been really easy to create new episodes and then to add all the different details. It may be the summary and then the larger description in addition to keywords and images and also uploading the audio file itself. So Fireside has been great for us.
1: I think if my understanding is correct, so the, the things that Fireside is doing for us is they're the ones that host the Bikeshed.fm website, which has the embedded player and other some niceties like that. And that's close to like a blogging CMS type platform. But I think the other main thing is they host the RSS feed, which is the actual thing that is what pod catchers pick up, which that word always weirds me out but anyway any different app with which one could listen to a podcast that is a thing that they're providing for us so that's that's definitely a valuable ad like i have thought about in the past rebuilding our website just doing it from scratch because i make terrible decisions uh, i've talked myself out of it every time but in terms of like wanting to have control and that part doesn't feel like as much of a value add to me it's very nice that they do that and that all of this just kind of works But that part I can do I can make a website the different part of like making the RSS feed and getting it into all the different ecosystems and all of that. That's that's where the utility comes from in my mind.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm also glad we are not trying to build our own. Uh, and thank you for adding all of those really important details for the reasons that we're using fireside and, and why it's so valuable. Uh, so then focusing on what equipment do we use? Uh, so Tom has helped us out greatly in that area. And we're using like your basic USB microphone. That's a hundred dollars with a stand and headphones. We're also using in terms of software for recording audio hijack and Skype. And then we've also using caster for one-off guests to avoid giving the guest any overhead where they have to worry about recording their voice in their part of the conversation.
1: And I think the microphone that we have is like slightly fancy. Like you said, it's about $100 and Tom got us a specific stand. So that's a little bit nicer. Uh, he did mention that it's a USB mic, but has the like fancy port in the back if we wanted to do into some sort of higher grade audio panel thing that neither of us understand at all. So this this microphone can grow with us as our podcasting career grows. So we will include specifics as to all of those different pieces in the show notes. But it seems like it's a good entry level one that also has you know some room to grow and is only $100. So Yeah, thanks, Tom. Hey, everybody. Producer Tom jumping in for just a quick second. The microphones that we're using while remote are the Audio-Technica ATR2100X for anyone who's interested. Also, our studio microphones that we use are the Shure SM7Bs recording into Logic as the software with Cloudlifter boxes. And the fancy port in the back to which Chris was referring is for an XLR cable to plug into a standard mixer or audio interface. Hope that helps.
0: I just noticed that on your microphone, you have one of those fancy microphone floofs. And I don't know the term, so I'm calling it a floof.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a pop filter on my microphone, which I bought. And then Tom asked me to send you one because I accidentally bought it. Well, not accidentally, but you can only buy them in the 10 pack. And so I bought a 10 pack and used the one. And then I was supposed to send you one, but I was scared of going to the post office. So I never sent you one. I could probably send you one now. I'm less scared of going to the post office (laughs) now.
0: Oh, man. 10-pack seems aggressive. That's a lot. (laughs) Do they wear out quickly?
1: I don't think so. I'm not popping that much, I don't think. (laughs) But every pop wears away just a little bit.
0: All right. I look forward to my microphone pop floof coming in the mail soon. All right. And then up next, how do you monetize your podcast? All right. So I'm going to share Tom's answer since... He has a really great answer. And he says, we don't really, but as your podcast grows, that people will reach out to you and express interest in perhaps sponsoring an episode or having an ad read or something of that nature.
1: Generally, my thinking is at a minimum, it's worth recognizing that there's a bunch of extra overhead that goes on top of it. And for us, we try to be very purposeful and only do ad reads for things that we actually believe in or tools that we've used or, you know, et cetera, things like that. And that's another filter and another layer of effort that we have to apply here. So if you're thinking about podcasting as a great way to strike it rich... I would not recommend that. But it is a way that you can perhaps offset costs and things like that. I've also seen folks use Patreon or other sort of like support platforms and have most of the episodes be available to everyone, but then have some that like taper off halfway through and you only get the full episode if you're a subscriber or other things. So there's different mechanisms potentially, but broadly speaking, there are a handful of folks that are making a bunch of money, but not the long tail of everybody else. So uh, I would say get into podcasting for the love of the art. Dang,
0: you're just you're crushing my dreams. I was really hoping that this was going to be my lottery ticket.
1: <laughs> Have you not been getting the residuals oh, all along? No,
0: I've been missing out on that. <laughs> Uh, what I was really hoping for was to maybe get a sponsorship from Docs or I'm really into a brand called Ginger People. They make a bunch of really great ginger treats, and I was telling a friend just jokingly about like, oh, maybe I'll get a sponsor, and then I was like, from Ginger People, and they're like, you know, from some luxury brand, and we said it at the same time, and they just looked at me, and they're like, you have really low expectations.
1: <laughs> oh, they said the luxury brand, and you said Ginger yep. People? <laughs> At this, yeah, uh, I, it seems a perfect fit for our audience. Tech talk and nonsense, sponsored by Ginger sponsored People. Sponsored by Ginger
0: People. Hey, it, it works. I love I love that candy so much. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Indeed.
1: Indeed knows that for any business, your next step is the most important one. Like hiring someone who can make a real impact.
0: Indeed helps you find high-impact hires faster without any long-term contracts. And you only pay for what you need thanks to their super flexible payment options. So why not take that next step with Indeed?
1: Get started with a free $75 credit for your first job post and get it in front of more quality candidates. Go to Indeed.com slash Bikeshed, all one word.
0: That's Indeed.com forward slash Bikeshed. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. And again, thank you to Indeed for sponsoring this episode. All right. So for our last question, what advice would you give to those starting a podcast? And I'm also going to bridge that with another question so we can kind of answer it in either direction is what surprised you about podcasting? And I'm gonna let you go first before I go.
1: Sure. In terms of advice, I'll actually loop in Tom's answer here as well. Just to start, uh, his advice is stay consistent, commit to your audience and commit to a schedule. People come to rely on you as part of their routine. And it's disappointing to have that promise broken. Uh, And I've definitely heard that from a number of other podcasts that I listen to. And we definitely try to stick to that schedule. Although I did switch us at one point, I think we used to release on Fridays. And it was very important to me that we moved to releasing on Tuesdays because that's when albums drop. And for some reason, that was the thing that I was emotionally attached to. I wanted our I wanted to be like an album dropping every week, our podcast coming out. Uh, so it moved us to Tuesdays. It also fit better with our schedules, but it was very much like I wanted to move and wanted to make it a one-time thing. And then that's what we do. We release on Tuesdays. So we've, we've definitely tried to do that consistency thing. What advice, though, would I give... I think one thing that does come to mind for me is that podcasting, I think, is really the promise of the internet come true. We can have these tiny little corners where you get to go deep on whatever topic it is, one tiny little niche, and really lean into that because that's the thing that you're super into. And uh, I would recommend embracing that with podcasts because it can allow you to connect to a network of people that are also interested in whatever really specific thing it is that you're interested in. So I I would say lean into that. Be as specific and niche down as you want. Be as yourself and honest and sincere. There is also something to, if you're releasing weekly or even biweekly, that's still just a bunch of content. And so the like hyper editing, hyper critical is maybe not as important as the showing up consistently, the having maybe somewhat of a unique voice. And so find yourself through the the art of podcast. That
0: sounds like a new book that you're working on. Find yourself through the art of podcasting. Mm. I love that advice, the be yourself and find your voice and then share that with folks and don't focus heavily on the editing, especially in the beginning, like have fun with it, find the content that you want to discuss. And then as you grow or as you have more time to invest into podcasting, then you can focus more on the editing. So some of the things that I have learned that then I would also share with my past self, some of the things that surprised me too, is that people really enjoy stories And this circles back to something that you'd highlighted earlier, where I thought people would really prefer that interview style because it's such a fire hose of information. And I just presumed that people would be a little disappointed about having like a co-host and sort of like losing those interviews. And based on some of the feedback that we've received, that people really like having that consistent story and being able to follow like two people on their journey. So that was something that surprised me. The other thing that surprised me that I've really enjoyed, although when I reflect on the podcast that I listen to, it shouldn't have been that surprising, but people like when you're a little silly. So to echo what you said a moment ago, like be yourself, share your voice, like people seem to really enjoy that when you share stuff that's personal and you're clearly having fun. That's something that's very enjoyable and then comes through the mic as well one of the other things I'd recommend is just because you record something doesn't mean you have to publish it. So embrace the redo. That's something that you've been wonderful about where if we've recorded something that I felt like just wasn't quite right, or I was uncomfortable with what we've said, we've gone back and recorded segments. I think there's only once that we recorded a very large segment that was probably like 15, 20 minutes worth. And that was wonderful because I was stressed about it. So I guess the next recommendation is find a wonderful co-host and that person support you and help you make decisions like that and then something else that you and I have discussed a couple times that is just something that we share now, and we haven't really had any like formal discussions about it, but deciding what type of content that we want to create, and you and I have a very strong emphasis on we want to be informative, we want to share real challenges and real events and just real web development issues that we're facing, and sort of the joy of that craft, and also bring a positive perspective to everything that we share, so every now and then, if we do find a or something where we just don't have a positive perspective or a positive way to talk about it, we often will shy away from those subjects or we'll find a way to talk about in a positive manner. So that's something that has been really important to us is that we want this to be a very positive space and try to avoid the negativity because there's plenty of that in the world elsewhere. And then one other thing that is really important to me is getting people's names correct. And that's challenging, but something that I think is really worth investing that if you're going to say someone's name, spend a few minutes, uh, they often have like a YouTube or another podcast or somewhere that they've been interviewed or they're introducing themselves and you can typically find where they've pronounced their name. So yeah, invest the time to say a person's name correctly.
1: I very much appreciate each time that you've gone to say someone's name and then said, oh, I'm sorry, can we pause for a second? Gone to YouTube. And found a video and listened to it uh, while we're recording because I I totally agree that little extra effort of trying to say and I'm sure we've still mixed up a few names, but I think it's a thing worth trying for. And I think the positivity bent that you were talking about, uh, I think Twitter and other things and podcasts, it's so hard to get negativity right that the lean towards let's just shine light on the good things and highlight the good things. And by lack of highlighting the other things, you can perhaps make some assumptions. But really, using this platform to be able to just highlight the things that we think are good and we want more of in the world. So,
0: yes, I really like the part where you said it's really hard to get negativity right because that can come off in so many different ways. And yeah, I'm just, I really enjoy that we try to always embrace the positive side and hopefully other people enjoy that as well. Uh, so, that was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we got to reflect on this together and sort of share our inner process for podcasting and how we approach the bike shed. On that note, shall we wrap up? Let's wrap up. Show notes for this episode can be found at Bikeshed.fm.
1: The show is produced and edited with so much love and care by Tom Obarski.
0: Oh, that was amazing. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is leave us a quick rating or even a review in iTunes, just like the one you heard, as it really helps other people find the show.
1: If you have feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at, at underscore Bikeshed on Twitter, or you can reach me at Chris Toomey.
0: And I'm at S. Vickery.
1: Or you can send it to hosts at Bikeshed.fm via email.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bike Shed, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hi, folks. We have a special guest dropping in to share some very exciting news. Our guest, Rick Gorman, is a developer here in the ThoughtBot New York City office and is here to tell us about a panel that he's been organizing called How to Sell Technical Debt to Your Business. Rick, thank you so much for dropping in today.
2: Steph, thank you for having me. Glad to have a chance to be on the air.
0: So, in regards to the panel that you're organizing, it sounds like it's all about technical debt, which I know is something that is a very popular topic and something that I'm always interested in. So, can you give us some more details about what the event will include and how the panel is being organized?
2: Absolutely. So, the idea for the panel came up as kind of a personal quest to figure out what is it that drives a piece of technical debt to be processed and paid back. I've had a number of clients in the past who have had technical debt issues where there's so much technical debt that they're not quite sure what to approach, what to tackle, what makes sense. And from an engineering perspective, it's easy for one to say, well, let's just tackle this piece. Let's clean up the database. Let's clean up the views. Let's clean up something that makes a developer happier, something that creates a better Feeling in engineering. But at the higher level, there's a different conversation that happens. There's actually a, a selling process of how doing this action of cleaning up this technical debt is going to benefit the business. I wanted to learn more about this. So I started reaching out to tech leaders and just point blank asking them, what's that conversation look like? How do you quantify technical debt in a way that the business understands and is happy to support you in. And through these conversations, we've put together an expert panel. So coming up Friday, July 24th at 12 p.m. Eastern, we are going to have a conversation with these leaders around what it is to engage in the selling of technical debt to the business.
0: That sounds really exciting. I really appreciate how you're approaching this conversation from those that are leading teams, because as a developer and a consultant, I certainly understand from the developer perspective of finding technical debt and then lobbying for how important that technical debt is to pursue or if it's something that can be delayed till later. So I'm really excited to hear from some leaders and then how they handle that process that you just mentioned, where they're really having to budget and sort of like sell the idea that they do need to focus on technical debt and which part of those issues that they're going to focus on first. Who all is going to be on the panel?
2: Yeah, so we've got Maria Laughlin, the VP of Engineering at Toast. We've got Jim Studer, longtime CIO of Univision. Neil Bay, VP of Technology at TuneCore. And Susan, I I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. Susan Direkmanjian, Director of Engineering at John Hancock.
0: And for everyone who's interested in attending the event, how do they register for the panel?
2: Yeah, so we've got free registration up. You can find it at tbot.io slash tech debt.
0: Excellent, we'll be sure to include a link in the show notes so that way people can register easily. And thank you again for stopping by to tell us about the upcoming panel.
2: Steph, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.